I think they are open to the possibility it's going to hurt later on. I think I don't think that you know Matt Limitore. I know he had. I don't think you know this is a damaged goods thing, or they were they were dealing him because they knew there was trouble coming, or their forecasting models said you know red alert, red alert. But I do think that you know he is still a very highly uh, thought of prospect, and you know sure, I mean maybe a couple of years from now you'll still be doing the best podcast in baseball on an even bigger scale, and we'll be talking about Matt Libitor facing the Rays in the World Series. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Clauses by Design. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week by Mark Tompkin, baseball writer for the Tampa Bay Times, the Tampa Bay Rays beat writer for the newspaper there. And Mark and I are both in Arlington, Texas, though we're recording this at an appropriate social distance of different hotels. Uh, Mark, thank you very much for joining me here as we cover the 116th World Series, but one unlike any other. And I really want to talk to you about how creative and intricate the Rays bullpen is and how does a small market team with such a limited payroll get this far into the postseason? No, I'm kidding. I just want 20 minutes of Randy Orozarena stories. Do you got it? <laughs> I could probably give you 30 minutes at least. There's plenty of them to tell. Can you describe what it was like? He had, he had a strong spring training, right? A really good spring training, made a good first impression. But what was his role going to be as a normal uh, opening day approached as March would have come to an end and the Rays would have gone off into a 2020 that we didn't have? I mean, to be honest, Derek, I think he would have been getting to know uh, his way around Durham, North Carolina, because he's going to go to AAA. I mean, the trade was a little bit of a surprise when they made it. Uh, You know, the Rays don't give up really good young pitching prospects, especially those, you know, that they draft very highly as Matt Libitor was all of those. And uh, Jose Martinez was a piece. So look like a guy that, you know, they've had interest in before and okay, he can help them. And, you know, platoon guy, mash lefties, whatever, whatever, you know it well. And they, and they kind of started whispering to us, oh, this other kid's the guy we wanted. This is, this is the reason we made the trade. You know, you'll see. And he was really good. He was the best player the Rays had in spring training, uh, spring training one, but, I don't, I don't think he had a spot. I mean, they had Kevin Kiermeyer coming back. They had Austin Meadows, who was their co-team MVP in 2019, coming back. And they were actually in the process of talking about a big, big long-term deal with him. So he was clearly going to be a big part of this. They had just traded for Hunter Renfro. They Right the day before spring training started, they traded for, uh, actually the day of the Fan Fest, they traded for Manuel Margot. They were stacked with outfielders. There wasn't room for Randy Rosarena. He watched him play in the spring. He was a, you know, kind of a, skinny, wiry kind of guy. And but all right, he'll be a guy that we'll see at some point during the year and he'll probably help him out. And, you know, eventually, you know, we'll see what he is. But uh, in a weird way, the uh, pause, and then he caught COVID. He was actually out. He missed the entire spring 2.0. He was in, uh, I found out after the fact, a little one-bedroom bungalow out by St. Pete his agent put him in, uh, thinking that would be, a good little spot for him. And it turned out, uh, I, again, hearing this all after the fact, it was in a place where there wasn't a lot of like uh, food delivery and stuff like that. So they ended up just arranging for groceries to be brought to the place every couple of days. So Randy taught himself how to cook <laughs> himself on what he said was a diet of chicken and rice. So he chicken and rice every day and then 300 push-ups. 
And he comes out of this, uh, like I said, like right about the time the season started, maybe even a week into it, it set down the alternate campsite. He's like 15 pounds heavier. He's all muscle. And you talk about a guy playing off a bad pun here who was hungry to make up for lost time. He goes down to their alternate site. You know, it took him a couple of weeks to kind of get his feet back out of him, understandably. You've been, you know, in isolation for over a month. And about two, three weeks into his workouts, the people running the camp down in Port Charlotte call up to the people in St. Pete say it's about third week of august by now you might want to start thinking about this he's ready he is there's nothing really much for more for him to do down here he's doing everything we've asked him to do he looks like he's ready so being the rays they decide at the end of august right before the trade deadline all right take the word of our people ironically trade jose martinez to the cubs to make room for randy rosarena and oh my gosh seven homers in the last five weeks of the regular season Seven homers so far in the postseason, and uh, uh, Cottage Industry has been born of Randy Rosarena t-shirts and everything else, and I think uh, the Rays players have kind of run out of words to describe him, Derek, but the one uh, quote that kind of caught on was uh, Tyler Glassman saying, he's pretty much the best player on the planet Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they called him the Cuban Mookie Betts. That was in a, rate, a television interview, though, I guess. Right? <laughs> I hadn't heard that one. The Cuban Mookie Betts, that's pretty good, too. Yeah, I think Kevin Cash called him that during the conversations with the uh, the broadcasters, if I remember correctly. Yeah, uh, was he? So when when that trade was made, do you think he was a focal point of it from the Rays' perspective? Do you do you have a sense um, now? I mean, they may claim so in hindsight, right? Because it looks, makes him look all that much smarter. <laughs> what they thought they were getting, because it sure seemed at the time that it was a mutually advantageous trade because the Rays wanted Martinez to hit against left-handed pitching. Um, the Cardinals had right-handed outfielding depth and were hungry for left-handed pitching depth, especially a prominent prospect um, that they didn't have to put on the 40-man right away. That was They were 40-man flexible looking and wanted to move right-handed hitters to get that. So, I mean, was, was Randy Rosarena – a target of theirs, or was he just the best outfield option to make that deal complete? But they did see him uh, when he got to the Cardinals. They started watching him, and and I'm not saying the Rays are the best at this, but they're very good at scouting other teams' minor league systems. They still do it uh, in a in a very old school way. They kind of flood the zone. They have a lot of guys. They do it regionally, uh, and they send you know kind of almost like an amateur thing, like some cross-checkers around. Too. But they are really good at watching minor league players and other organizations. They saw what Randy Rosarena did in the 2019 season at AAA, and they were very aware of, of what they thought was the potential there. So, I, mean, I don't know if the Cardinals had offered someone else along with Jose Martinez if they would have made the same deal, like I said before. For them to give up Matt Libitor as much as they covet these young, high-ceiling pitchers, I mean, it had to be the right guys, and I think Randy Rosarena was the guy they wanted. And, and like I said, as they made the deal, they kind of whispered to us, you know, off the record, like, this is the guy we wanted. This isn't just about getting Jose Martinez to give up as much as they did. So the other thing is, and, and I don't travel in the, the social circles you do, so I'm not used to this. Plus one concept, I know you get a lot of invites to that. Um, and I think when the Rays make their trades, Derek, they always kind of have a plus one attitude. Like, we'll do this trade. I, I think that's why it was important for them that to do that deal. They had to get something else, and they pretty much wanted that something else to be Randy Rosarena. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals had sort of a smorgasbord of right-handed hitting outfits to choose from 
And, you know, there was Tyler O'Neill, but they wanted to hold on to him because they saw him as providing power that they didn't have elsewhere and they wanted to tap into it. They didn't want to see him go and, say, hit seven home runs in September like someone else did. Um, they, you know, they had Harrison Bader, who they'd resisted trades before, and they, they thought of him as an elite center fielder, which, of course, the Rays already had two of because they had, you know, Kiermaier and Margot. So it was interesting just how the, that thing lined up. Um, before we talk about the American League champion Rays, just to kind of conclude this, what should be expected of Libertor? I mean, there, there used to be a thing uh, for a long time was when the Atlanta Braves start talking about trading you pitching, walk out of the room. Um, they know something you don't. Uh, the Cardinals wouldn't leave the room until they got Adam Wainwright, and that worked out really well for them. The Rays kind of have that reputation, too, that they, they move a pitcher right at the time when he, his value might be the highest. Where do, Does Libertor fit that, or, or is that one that, that they expect to hurt later on? I mean, I think they are open to the possibility it's going to hurt later on. I think I don't think that you know Matt Libertor. I know he had. I don't think you know this is a damaged goods thing, or they were they were dealing him because they knew there was trouble coming, or their forecasting models said you know red alert, red alert. I, I think that this was a deal where they thought they had uh, accumulated some depth. Now, ironically, they've had four pitchers have Tommy John this year, so some of that depth is totally wiped out. Uh, that they had some other guys that were closer to the majors than Matt was. But I do think that, you know, he is still a very highly uh, thought of prospect. And, you know, sure, I mean, maybe a couple of years from now, you'll still be doing the best podcast in baseball on an even bigger scale. And we'll be talking about Matt Libitor facing the Rays in the World Series. The bigger, betterest podcast in baseball. It's just bludgeoning the English language. The bestest podcast in baseball, which brings me to, I should, before we dive into the World Series, I would to tell people about our sponsor. Imagine your home totally organized. Closet by Design specializes in custom closets, pantries, laundry rooms, garages, and more. Now get 40% off plus an additional 15% off. Closet by Design of St. Louis, 314-733-9855. That's Closet by Design, 314-733-9855. The official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. All right, Mark, in a nutshell, how did the Rays get here? I mean, it seems that they got here by way of pitching depth, absolute um, elite run prevention. And and I think from an outsider's perspective, watching the team, certainly watching the team in the postseason, a, a real amount of creativity from the coaching staff. I know Kevin Cash will get a lot of credit for that, but it does seem like their pitching plan, which would include the bullpen coach and the pitching coach, correct me if I'm wrong, but also the front office, that they're very creative in how they go about collecting 27 outs, particularly the final 21 outs of games. Just a quick aside before I answer your question, you know, in, in one of the things that's come up in the manager of the year conversations the last couple of years, Kevin Cash has finished third in the BBWA voting, which, you know, is the only voting that really counts. And not that the guys who won weren't deserving, the point that some people have made, and I've made when I've been asked about it, is Kevin Cash literally has to manage from like the first or second inning on. In some American League, you know, American League games, the manager doesn't really quote unquote have to manage until about the sixth or seventh inning. But Kevin Cash is managing unless he's got like Charlie Martin or Snell on the mound or Glass now more recently, he's been, he's managing right from the start. And 
to answer your question, they are very creative. They do use a lot of different uh, methodologies and strategies. They're not scared. And, and I say that in two ways, Derek. They're not scared in terms of what people think. They don't They don't worry. Eric Neander, the GM, said this the other day, and I wish I had it right in front of me. Paraphrase. They are, they are committed to doing what they think is right. And that's easy to say, but just think about things like I can think about things in my own life. Right? I've done that. I've been like, you know what? Let's just do it this way. It'll be easier. No hassle. And they don't, they, they think of what do they need to do best. The other way they're not scared is whatever. I mean, take Blake Snell out. He hasn't given up any runs and have him drop a bad word on national TV about you right when he's walking up and down. Kevin Cash doesn't care. Well, they, they didn't call Blake Snell in the next day and yell at him for saying bad words about Kevin Cash on the mound. Take Charlie Morton out when he's got 66 pitches and a shutout in the sixth inning of Game 7 of the ALCS. Whatever. Bring Nick Anderson in in the third inning. Whatever. It's just. They're going to do what they think works, and it doesn't always work. When he came out the other day, Diego Castillo gave it up. It was the first two inherited runners in the entire postseason the Rays' bullpen had allowed. They suspended 21-3. It was a major league record to that point. But they don't care. They just do what's right. So it's creativity, it, for lack of a better word, so you don't lose your FCC license. Courage. Uh, it's just the ability to make the decision based on what they think is going to do the best thing. And, and what goes along with that is they get the players to buy in, and, and that's kind of a, a trope, your cliche, and all that. But it's true. They, they get these guys, and they kind of convince them we're going to do what's best for the team. We're going to win a lot of games by doing it this way. But you're going to get into four. You're going to get taken out of a game early. You're going as a reliever. You're going to get, and they get these guys to buy in. And, and look, I'm not going to tell you every 25 or 28 guys every single year is yes sir, yes sir. There's guys who talk about it, but for the most part, they get this buy in, and it works. In a way, is this the approach for a small market, you know, watching salary, penny pension, however you want to describe the race, in, in some ways, does that then work to their benefit because it, they have to go and acquire pitchers who, you know, aren't making the million. They're not the $100 million bullpen that the Rockies went out and got a few years ago. They're not the guys who are thinking – all right, well, I, I need saves for arbitration or I need uh, I need saves to, you know, to, to prove that I'm back or to get that big free agent contract. In some ways, you got guys who are, um, you know, we're on the fringe, we're an independent ball or we're late round picks or undrafted at all. And, you know, does that in a way help them with that buy-in? In fact, like use their circumstance as a leverage yeah, I mean, I guess that would probably be the more sinister way to look at it, that they use it as leverage. Um, I think the other way to look at it would be that they use it as a land of opportunity. I mean, a couple years ago, one of the relievers popped, popped something off like, we're the island of Mexican toys. So I, I think that it's more of, we're going to give you guys a chance to be really good. But you got to trust now. Sure, if you had a bunch of higher-paid, veteran, established guys, like just, you know, pick guys in the Yankee bullpen. If you had Chapman, Britton, Adovino, guys that you're paying a ton of money to who all had track records and said, you may get guys saying, no, that's not what I signed up for. But, and yeah, there's a little bit of leverage, sure. I mean, but then again, they brought over you know, Hunter Renfro this year as an outfielder, a guy who was a gold glove, uh, maybe even should have won last year, and, and you know, fairly established player in San Diego, and buried him. He hardly ever plays, but when he does, at least, I think, for what is they win. If this was a bad team, Doing all these crazy weird things, you hear a lot more grumbling. I'll say that. Oh, that that makes a lot of sense. You know, the, the bullpen does have some Missouri ties. Uh, you know, former Cardinal Ryan Sheriff is is 
and Fairbanks and Fleming are guys who grew up in the St. Louis area and, and one went to Mizzou, Fairbanks and Fleming went to Webster um, right there in St. Louis. Yeah. What, how is, how have rules kind of come to be defined? You saw Fleming in game one of the world series. We've seen Fairbanks take over as closer effectively, but Kevin Cash, made the point to the media, which we've heard from a lot of managers, you know, that, that sometimes the save isn't in the ninth inning. Sometimes the game is won in the seventh. Um, you know, but he added that, you know, getting the final three outs is is valuable and having a guy who can do that is, is necessary for a team. Is, is Fairbanks the de facto closer? And how have you seen his season develop? Um, from a zoo guy, you know, we got to say nice things about him. I guess we can do that. I, yeah. I don't think he's the de facto closer. I think, you know, they've, they've kind of basically used the guys. I mean, Nick Anderson's been the highest leverage guy. He just hasn't been very good the last couple of times out. So I think you've seen Fairbanks and Dio Castillo get a little bit more opportunity. Castillo, certainly in the ALCS, was really the guy that they relied on. I think it's a matter of stuff and a matter of match versus the hitters. I mean, they, and I, I'm sure other teams do this, but the fans look at the ball every day, and it's a puzzle vis-a-vis the other team's lineup, the other team's bench. They look. Fairbanks is an interesting dude. He's a very uh, opinionated person. He had a funny line about uh, the reason he, he uh, his, about his college experience. And he said, when you're pitching, you're asking about playing in front of no fans. And he said, I'm used to it. And somebody said, oh, why? And he said, you pitch at Mizzou when it's 40 degrees out and there's 60 people in the stands. Uh, you're used to playing for getting the names of some race players wrong. And some other things they call Blake Kelly and Snow. They, they had Fairbanks' name wrong and a couple other guys. So, uh, he's he's pretty outspoken. He's a little bit of a character. Uh, Fleming's kind of quiet, um, and he's got that funny mascot for his school that I can't think of for Webster, but it's a very unique mascot. And he uh, he jokes about that a little bit coming from his small background. But he's kind of on the quiet side. Uh, but they did they worked out every day in the St. Louis area. In fact, Fairbanks, having already been to the big leagues and kind of a crazy ride last year in 2019, he was an A ball rehabbing his second Tommy John. He worked his way all the way up to the big leagues with the Rangers. And he gets traded to the Rays, and he's pitching down the stretch. He said he would text Fleming every day and say, you're meeting me at the field. And Fleming would be like, yeah, I'm in it. And he no, you're meeting me at the field. And, and sure enough, he did. And Josh Fleming, uh, what a story. He took advantage of all colleges and said, took advantage of an opportunity when the Rays had all these injuries. And all he did was go 5-0 and in seven games for the Rays. The Gorlock is the basket. Yeah, the Gorlock. I apologize to Gorlock Nation. Yeah, the Gorlock. Well, you know, I mean, St. Louis area specializes in curious uh, – mascots in the uh and then you have the gorlock and the billikins then the high school has the billikins and then who, who would win a who would win a like a, a, a bout between a billikin and a gorlock i would i'm gonna guess um a gorlock um you know i don't know i'd have to roll a 20-sided die for hit points and determine that okay let me know because i'm curious about that gorlock billikin battle that that is the first dungeons and dragons joke in bpib history just so you know <laughs> you got to be here for it how exciting was that Especially since I've never played that. <laughs> well, that's why I had to explain. I realized as soon as I said it, I'm like, oh, well, I need to know my audience. You know, one die 20, I didn't, or one D20, I didn't think was going to, well, regardless. Um, speaking of rolling dice, so it, it, what has got the race here? Do, I mean, do you think that it's run prevention? So many of their runs in this postseason have come on home runs. They just have not hit much. And so they, they have to be, so good at suppressing run production, right? I mean, that that's their their key here, right? That's their equalizer. Yeah, the net. The net game for them is run prevent. Defensive show that they put on the first couple games of the ALCS, I mean, 
one game they won with their infield defense, one game they won with their outfield defense. And, and right. just watching, I mean, these, these Houston players, these veteran proven established, you know, Houston players watching the reactions as they were just frustrated. It was like, like watching a basketball team trying to play against the press, a smothering press, and you can't do anything. And that's what the Houston hitters looked like. They were like, we can't, wherever we hit the ball, it doesn't matter. They're making these incredible plays. I and mean, Willie Adamas made like five plays in that game that you'd be like, wow, that was a really good play. And so I, I think that's it. And they thrive off that. And you'll appreciate this being the old school guy that you are, Jared. do every day they take it the That's awesome. And they take what they call live infield practice. So Kevin Cash or Matt Cortara, the bench coach, is going to be the manager. So you heard that here first. Um, he stands at home plate and, and one of the, you know, one of the staff dudes, whatever is on a knee and he tosses the ball up to cash or Cartrero and they hit the ground balls that way. So it has more of a, a feel of coming off the bat live as opposed to just a fungo. And it gets pretty yeah, heated. I mean, they, you know, we're watching, I've watched cash and Adamus go at it and you think they were playing for, you know, a steak dinner or something, the way they try to not let him do it. So, they put a lot of time, energy, effort, a huge amount of pride in their defense. Combination of that and the pitching staff they have, they definitely feel like their run prevention is part of their offense. I, uh, I I watched that because I was interested in how they were using it to test the turf and get a feel for Globe Life Field. Um, and you know, I've seen that uh, Jose Akendo do the same kind of thing where he soft tossed infield. He, you know, somebody tosses it to him, but they get the play off the bat. Then he doesn't tell them which direction it's coming just to get their reactions. And, Things like that. That that's great that they do that all the time. So, last thing to ask you about here, you know, not to be lost in all this is also your journey of going around covering this. That you know, covering the sport this year has been fascinating and brought up the stories of its own. And while the Rays played seven games in seven days during the ALCS, and the Dodgers played seven games in seven days for the NLCS because there were no off days to cram all this postseason fun in to the schedule and get it done before election day. You covered eight games in eight days because you did the seven for the Rays and then also game seven of the Dodgers. What, what has this been like, you know, just as far as the, the moving around, but watching and being there as history not only unfolds on the field, but all around you? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and, and just to back it up a little further, I did the five games in the ALDS also in San Diego. So, um, you know, the two games against the Blue Jays at home and then flew out to San Diego and five games in five days against the Yankees, one day off, seven games in seven days against the Astros, and then and did come here to cover the NLCS finale. But, but look, I mean, you've been through it too, Derek. We're not covering baseball the way we're used to, and, and to be quite honest, we're not covering baseball the way we should be covering baseball. I mean, clubhouse access, ability to talk to players, coaches, staff, one-on-one is, is – you know, for those of us as yourself and myself who've done this for a long time really well, but that's how we get our information. That's how the amount of times a coach or player has said to me about someone else, which has led to a story or information. And, and we miss that. We don't have that interaction. The communal interviews, the Zoom interviews, as far as the playoffs, being there and seeing it, I, I think it was great to be there. Could I tell you, like, there was any one moment that I saw that it made me think, boy, this – this was worth it. I mean, there have been a couple, sure, seeing the Rays come out of the dugout after clinching game five, being able to look in the dugout, seeing the reaction and the exuberance and the excitement over some of these hits, the reaction to the Mike Rosso homer in game five against the Yankees. I mean, I can still kind of replay that in my mind. 
beating the look in their faces when they lost that third straight game to the Astros in San Diego. So there's still a little bit of that. I mean, logistically, it's weird. We're not in the in the regular press box in San Diego. We were on the upper deck on tables. Uh, you know, being told, had it three different times. I had to leave the stadium, go back to the hotel to finish writing because they were closing the stadium down. We weren't allowed to stay. You know, yeah, I had to do that. So, so those type of things, but uh, overall, what what a ride! I mean, I can and I have the, the privilege to cover it. And you got to see the, the dance offs in person. So the Randy Rosarena experience is this? Does this have staying power? Do the Rays have staying power? Is this or is this the? I mean, they've taken out higher payroll teams. Is this uh, a factor of this odd season that the Rays were able to maximize so well, or are they? Do they have staying power? And and is Randy Rosarena going to make the team for opening day twenty twenty one? And I'll answer your second question first, and, and I think, yes, he will now make the team. <laughs> Look, I think this is going to change our offseason plans, Derek, to be quite honest with you. I think that, um, you know, Kiermaier, it may be at a point where they might be looking to move him. I mean, his contract goes up yet again. He's got a couple more years left. He's, he's in a couple of millions right now. And, um, you know, they may be in a position to trade him anyway. Having added Mark Bow, I think they'll trade Renfro, too. But Randy Rosarena is now in that position. And I think that'll cause them to maybe be a little more aggressive in some of their trade moves. As far as the Rays, look, they built their way to this. I mean, they, they took a step back after uh, Joe Madden and Andrew Friedman left. It took them a couple of years to kind of find their footing. Kevin Cash is one of the best managers in the game. Eric Neander is one of the best GMs in the game. They won 90 games in 2018, just missed out. They won 96 games last year. Came back from the 2 hole in the Astros to Game 5 of the ALDS. Uh, that, you know, had Tyler Glass not been keeping his pitches, maybe they would have won. And then this year, you know, 40 and 20, I mean, I can do this math. That's 108 win pace over the whole season. I don't think they would have won 108 games. But this was a team that had World Series, uh, you know, expectations, legitimate ones in the original spring training, and decided this is going to be a team that's been for several years. That's Mark Tompkin, Ray's beat writer for the Tampa Bay Times. And as far as baseball writers go, Topper is one of the best of us. Mark, thank you very much for, for joining me for the best podcast in baseball here in Arlington, Texas. A privilege, Derek. <laughs> all, it, all it took was coming to Texas for a neutral site World Series. All right, you got it, buddy. A special thanks to Mark Tompkin, the busiest man in baseball these days, as he was around the ballpark here in Arlington, Texas, talking to fans, Rays fans who made the trip in, and then was off to interview Commissioner Rob Manfred. And despite all of that, he was willing to spend some time talking with us about Randy Orezarena and the Rays and how they got here to the 116th World Series. You can find all of Mark Tompkins' work at the Tampa Bay Times. He's also on Twitter. That's Mark Tompkin, Mark with a C. And he's at TB Times underscore Rays. That's at TB Times underscore Rays. And all of his work is at TampaBay.com. So, again, that's Mark Tompkin. Special thanks to him. He's really is one of the best baseball writers around, one of the most conscientious and diligent. And few people know his team, know, know the team they cover quite like he does. You can find all of the post-dispatches coverage from the World Series, the Fall Classic, the neutral site Fall Classic, the first time that the World Series has been played at one ballpark entirely since 1944 with the Streetcar Series, which was, despite some reports, a decidedly un-neutral site that was a decidedly not neutral site there at Sportsman's Park. But you can find all the coverage from the Post-Dispatch here at the World Series at stltoday.com and in the pages of the newspaper. Special thanks to all the subscribers out there who get the paper on their porch or get the paper on their mobile phone, wherever you get it. Thank you for reading the coverage. The best podcast in baseball will continue into the offseason, but 
We've got a few more plans here for the World Series, depending on how long this, uh, this best of seven goes. You can find the best podcast in baseball anywhere you get your podcasts. It's available on iTunes, on Stitcher, seriously, anywhere. You can also get it at stltoday.com on iTunes. You can listen to individual episodes, download individual episodes. You can subscribe. Please subscribe. Subscriptions make the sponsorships possible. Sponsorships make the weekly podcast possible. And rate and review it because this podcast is only going to be as good as the feedback I get from the community that listens to it. It exists solely because of the subscribers and the way the podcast is set up is entirely because of the community around it. Let me tell you again about our sponsor. Get organized with Closet by Design of St. Louis. Update your closet, garage, office, pantry, and more. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN. That's 1-800-BYDESIGN. 1-800-BY-DESIGN. The official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. Looking forward to the games ahead. Should be a good series as one of the most impressive Dodger teams that I've seen, and then one of the most impressive organizations any of us have seen in the Rays. For the best podcast in baseball, I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch Baseball writer Derek Gould. Talk to you soon.